Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is with us. JT, how are you doing? I'm doing all right in rainy north central Kansas. <laughs> yeah, well, better than smoky central Washington. Right. Uh, so we're back for the first time in, gosh, like six months, I guess. And who better to have on with us than Kellis Robinette, star beat writer of the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle. Kellis, how are you doing? Hey, I'm, uh, yeah, just like JT, trying to stay dry, trying to stay warm in summer of all times. But yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And it's, uh, surely you, you must have been facing a lot of challenges this offseason, you know, trying to cover this team in COVID, no, no spring games, no anything. Kind of, you know, how did you deal with some of that stuff? I mean, yeah, it was different. It was always kind of a daily challenge to try and figure out what kind of content you could come up with. A lot of phone calls, a lot of Zoom calls, very little actual face-to-face interaction. It's been, yeah, like you just mentioned, six months since I actually covered an event in person, and it was Kansas State's last basketball game there at the Big 12 tournament when they beat TCU on March 11th or 12th, whenever that was, when everything shut down. So, man, it's felt like forever, and uh, I will finally, I will be at this game on Saturday. I've got a credential for it. I'm going to give it a go even though we're not going to get to actually talk to anybody in person there either. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what it's like, and I'm ready to get back in it. Yeah, I'll be true. one of the uh, random fans in the stands. I did, oh, We awesome. didn't manage to get tickets for all that, so it's not what a hassle you? for us since we live near Manhattan. And, but uh, we'll be up in the, the upper deck all spaced out. It's going to be weird. Oh, yeah. Wow, well, you'll, have, you'll have to let me know how that goes. <laughs> I'm very interested to hear how that goes. Yeah, my parents, you know, they normally drive up three hours. They decided it's not really worth it to do that this season. Yeah, well, I, I don't blame them. I think a lot of people ended up choosing that route without tailgating or all the normal pageantry yeah. you get on Saturdays. And, and you said you're going to be in the press box. I imagine that's going to be more limited than usual as well. Yeah, it'll be much more limited. I don't know exact what the exact number is on normal game days, but, I mean, for, like, super mega games, when Auburn has come to town and stuff, they've had – 200 plus people in that press box. I think the plan for Saturday is to have it at 30. So yeah, some news organizations I think could have two people credentialed, but for most it's just one. So everybody will be spaced out apart, um, which is a good thing. I don't I don't want to get <laughs> coronavirus sitting in a press box for four hours or whatever. But it'll be different, and yeah, hopefully it goes goes good for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we've seen a little bit of college football so far, and it, it seems like there has been a lot of that rust going on. You know, do, do coaches expect the players to be a little bit rusty? Have you talked about that at all? I think, yeah, they kind of have to build that into their game plans. That you can't just expect your star wide receiver to beat the other team's best player on a fade route, and the quarterback's going to hit him in stride game one. I think it's going to take time for these guys to. Uh, yeah, find their A game and hit their stride just for the reasons that they haven't been able to go full go during the spring or the summer or through preseason practices. It's been kind of a revolving door with who's in, who's out. And I think I saw it in a, a Yahoo story from Pete Thamel last week or something, but some coaches, you know, anonymously were saying that some of their best players in the past, they've tracked them going as fast as 22, 23 miles an hour on fly routes during practice. Now they're down to like 17, 18 miles an hour at their top speed. So it just kind of shows you that it's a different kind of era right now. And maybe by the end of the season, you can dial up your, your best plays and hope that that happens. But I mean, just look at the week one scores. You had 42, nothing 
52-3. I mean, there were some really, really mismatched games, and you could tell the teams that didn't prepare as much as the others or had players out were at a significant disadvantage. So I think especially early this season, you're going to see much sloppier football than usual. Week one might feel more like week zero. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it that that Navy game that they said Navy hadn't been doing any hitting at all in practice? Yeah, the coach said the last time they tackled everybody was at the Liberty Bowl against K-State. <laughs> yeah. When you can see just, I mean, how like a fairly insignificant position, like missing a long snapper <clears throat> affected Austin P and their winner. So exactly. I mean, it's not, not like losing a star quarterback, like even just the, you know, nobody long snapper being gone could hurt your team. Yeah. So then yeah. To, to try to spin this into a positive for Kansas state, I mean, is it, a uh, better year than ever to have an experienced quarterback who's been around like Skylar Thompson? Uh, well, that's what they're hoping. I guess the bad news is, is there are a lot of other experienced quarterbacks in the Big 12, but I, I do think that Skylar has an advantage over a lot of his peers in that category just because experience traditionally matters so much for Kansas State. I mean, if you go back and look at the guys who have even come back and started after having one year of experience, in this offense, they've all managed to go out of seniors, winning nine games. Jesse Ertz did it. Jake Waters did it. Before that, you had Colin Klein winning 11 games. And then you go back and look at, you know, the era of Michael Bishop and Beasley and all those guys who did it. They all went out with double-digit wins. And that's obviously going to be pretty hard for Skyler this year because they're only playing 10 games. But when you factor in just how much experience matters in this offense and that he's been doing this for four years, I think that uh, is – the biggest, I guess, X factor for this team is that even though they do have a lot of turnover at certain positions, they're the same where it counts the most at quarterback. And people always say there's nothing it, – it's hard to beat uh, a team when they return a quarterback and return their coach, and that's one thing Kansas State has going for them this season. Right. And then, I mean, either one of you guys, where, where would you expect to see the most growth from Skyler this season as a player? I know for me it's probably that – and we saw this like towards the end of last season, but that, that, that fight or flight response where, you know, he would, it was like really noticeable in the Oklahoma state game where he'd get flushed out of the pocket, things would break down. And then he'd just almost make a beeline towards the sideline. Like he's trying to roll out, he's trying to extend the play, but he ended up just, you know, taking yardage, throwing up a bad pass. But as the season wore on that tendency started to go away, he got more comfortable. So for me, I'd really just like to see him, you know, I think we'll see the most growth out of that going through the progression, being comfortable in the pocket, even with the basically brand new O-line and then being more confident and comfortable in that, the forward scramble, you know, taking that hole and getting five or 10 yards and not being worried about it. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, taking more risk is the name of the game for him when he was at his best last season early on and pro football focus had him as the number one graded quarterback in the country. You know, he was making all the right reads, making all the right moves. And when he got aggressive, it paid off. I think for whatever reason, later in the year, when maybe he saw a little bit better pass rush, got happy feet. I could really notice it in the bowl game. There were times where, uh, boy, you'd watch him kind of drop back and he, it seemed like he had an internal clock going in his head as soon as it hit four seconds, five seconds, whatever it was, even if guys were open, he was just bailing trying to, you know, like JT said, get two or three yards instead of taking a shot at a big play. And uh, I think 
for whatever reason, he maybe was just a little bit too concerned with interceptions, maybe going back to his competition with Alex Delton and worrying about getting the hook. But that's not that's not the case, even though they do like Will Howard. Skyler's the guy this year, and I think uh, in a weird way, uh, it might be good if he throws an extra interception or two just because it means he's taking extra chances. And if he's doing that, he'll end up with more touchdowns, more big plays. So, yeah, for me, I, I'd like to see more risk, more confidence. And uh, if he does that, I think everybody will benefit. Yeah. And certainly that was going to play a big part of what JT mentioned, the, the virtually brand-new offensive line. I mean, you feel like Josh Rivas is, is ready to step into that leadership role. And, you know, how do the rest of the guys look or how do the coaches think they're going to play? They seem to like the personnel they have, even though they are inexperienced. I mean, Noah Johnson, it seems like, did a really good job stepping in and taking over at uh, at center after all those years of Adam Holtorf doing it, which I imagine that's probably going to be the toughest transition of all because in most years, if you know who the center is going to be, that guy can just hang out with with the quarterback for months on end, practice that QB center exchange and get that snap down. But they didn't really get the opportunity to do that at all during spring practice. But I think Noah being a veteran player and having some experience, I think has figured that out. They've had a lot of good things to say about, yeah, Josh Rivas. We saw what he was capable of last year when he did play. I think they like Ben Adler. The question for me is uh, I, I think they'll be fine in, in the interior. I think they'll have enough guys to plug and play and, and get by there. But tackle is a little bit of a worry for me. None of these guys have played before. Katori Levinson, Cooper Beebe, Christian Duffy, none of them really have, you know, that prototypical six seven body with huge long arms that uh, you really like to see at that position. And just across the offensive line, that's one spot where they've had players in and out through camp, and it's always kind of a mystery who's going to be available to play that practice, and I'm not even sure who's going to be available for week one here against Arkansas State. So I think at full strength, I think they'd definitely be at least solid. I'd have confidence in them, but if they take some hits here and they have to go to second string, third string guys, and that's where they could run into some issues. Yeah, yeah. I got to give a special shout out to Ben Adler because he grew up in, in my hometown, uh, ended up transferring away from high school, I think after a year or two. But uh, I used to play pickup basketball with his dad on Sunday nights. I knew their family pretty well. So Man, it'd be cool to see him out on the field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah, but then, so let's talk about the receivers. It, it seems like that, you know, there's a lot of talent, very young still, but, you know, we've seen a a lot of these guys play, a lot of athleticism, you know, Malik Knowles, Josh Youngblood, Wiking Gill, even Philip Brooks a little bit. I guess maybe the big question for you, you know, Malik Knowles, everybody talks about how good he can be, his potential. Do you think he's ready to be a true number one receiver this season? I think kind of remains to be seen. I think the optimistic view is that he he's dealt with injuries in the past, and that's really been the biggest thing that's stopped him from being a number one type receiver. And you would think that, okay, he added some weight this off season. Maybe that can uh, help him avoid injuries, but at the same time, receiver adding, adding weight might not be the greatest thing in the world because he might not be able to run as fast. So I'm uh, going to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on that. I want to see what he looks like here on, uh, on Saturday, but there, there is a lot of potential in that group. You lose experience and, um, you know, the great connection that Dalton Schoen had with Skylar Thompson last season. But at the same time, I think overall the ceiling for these guys is a little bit higher 
than what they had last season. But this is another group that, that's been banged up and had guys in and out all preseason, so you don't exactly know what you're going to get from them on Saturday. But if if their top guys are out there, they'll certainly find ways to get them the ball, make plays. But they, there might be some growing pains there just because they are so young. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with Kellis. I, he's definitely got to stay healthy if Knowles wants to be, mm-hmm. you know, the guy. But I think that that young group is is going to get some significant help this year with the addition of Briley Moore at tight end. Yeah, yeah and, definitely. And you know they've got they've got him listed as an or with Nick Lenners and and Nick played real well last year too. But Briley brings that you know that true pass catching <clears throat> tight end that I think Messingham was really missing last year, and it's going to create a situation like we saw. You know, the Chiefs and the 49ers this year in the Super Bowl. They both had the two the two teams with the with the best pass catching <laughs> tight ends in the NFL were in the Super Bowl. And it's because they, you know, those guys make the rest of their receivers better by, you know, forcing the defense to to key on them a lot more. And so I think, you know, even if Briley doesn't replicate the numbers that he put up at Northern Iowa, he's still going to draw a lot of attention, which should help Malik Knowles and Viking Gill and Josh Youngblood and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I suppose, you know, we'll see guys catching passes out of the backfield quite a bit too. I think Harry Trotter's shown he's capable of that. He's going to be the number one guy. Kellis, you wrote about it being a little bit of a surprise that Deuce Vaughn was listed as the backup running back. You know, again, a lot of guys there. It's kind of hard to tell this early, but how do you think the distribution of carries is going to look? Well, I think Harry will end the season with the most carries. I think he'll start game one. He's the guy that they'll, you know, he'll take that James Gilbert role uh, of last season. Probably the guy, even though I have written much more about Deuce Vaughn than Tyler Burns, I'm probably most surprised with Tyler Burns, just given the fact that two years ago he wasn't on the team at all. I mean, he's had quite the story to go from scholarship athlete to just quitting the team, coming back as a walk-on, and now, you know, challenging Harry Trotter as a uh, real ball-carrying threat in this offense. But the guy who probably most excites me out of anybody is Deuce Vaughn just because he's uh, yeah. he's got the ability to be a scat back, catch the ball out of the backfield, and like Bradley Moore, add some versatility to this offense that we didn't see a whole lot last season. And I will say, though, that when Jordan Brown was healthy last year and they could get him the ball on screen passes and stuff like that, those are times when they had their best games. They beat Oklahoma when he was out on the field. They lost some other games when he was hurt. If Deuce Vaughn is ready to come in as a freshman and kind of replicate that role and add an extra element to the offense, I think that's going to be a big deal just because when you go back and look at what uh, Courtney Messingham and Chris Kleiman did at North Dakota State, they would. <laughs> it was just crazy to watch how they would run a team to death, and then as soon as they would adjust to that, then they'd start throwing on them. And then once the defense adjusted to that, then they start pulling out these running back passes, tight end passes, and the defense just would kind of give up. I don't know if they're quite ready to replicate that here at Kansas State just because the competition is quite a bit higher. But these are the weapons they had at North Dakota State, and uh, it'll be fun to see what they can do with them now that they've got some players who can fit that same mold. Yeah, yeah. And so, JT, I don't know about you. Maybe you can help me out here. I, I I have a hard time getting real excited about Harry Trotter because he seemed like he was never really an explosive guy. You know, he give you a lot of carries. Never seen like a guy who could break one and, and not 
you know, one of those big bruising running backs, not a super fast guy. Um, why should I be excited about him as a number one back? I, well, he's definitely a workhorse, and, you know, he's he's definitely going to be – he showed that he wasn't afraid to hit that A-gap hard, which is, you know, a, a key component of, of their rushing attack is, is that A-gap power and some of that traditional, you know, old school eye former, you know, running right between garden center. Like he, he, he's definitely not afraid of, of hitting that hole of going into the, into the wall of the, the bigger defensive tackles. But like Kelly said, this is a coaching staff that loves running back by committee. So, you know, he may see the most carries in a game, but I mean, we're going to see a lot of guys on the field at running back. And that's, that's not because any one of them isn't, you know, capable of carrying that load. I, they just like spreading that load around. They've got a lot of athletes. Heck, I mean, you got Jacardia Wright, who wasn't even on the initial depth chart, you know, and, and he played four games last year and, and looked good while he was out there. Uh, we're missing Joe Irvin, who apparently is on the opt-out list. And I was pretty excited to see him because he was the, the first guy, first freshman off the bench last year to see action. Got the kid out of Missouri, what, Mosey, that, I mean, he could be, he could do something, especially with, with the eligibility rules, you know, everything put pause on this year. I mean, we could see freshmen all over the place all year, even if they're getting just two or three carries yeah. in a game, it could be kind of wild. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah I, I'm not, Lamar Jackson says he likes Harry Trotter. What more do you want to know? Well, what more do you want <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. Okay. So yeah, that, one last question about that, Kellis. I got, I know, you're not normally the one writing your headlines, presumably, but do you think we'll see any Harry Potter headlines? Puns? <laughs> uh, well, that'll be a new goal of mine. If he, if he rushes for 100 yards, I'll break one out. All right. All right. He's definitely going to have to have a magical game. <laughs> that headline. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so let, let's switch over to the defense now, and, and we'll start with um, the guy who's missing. I would say probably that the biggest opt-out absence is going to be Jonathan Alexander. Seems like a guy who really would have been a starter in the secondary. How much is Kansas State going to miss him in the defensive backfield? You know, I'm a, I kind of got to disagree with you there a little bit. I don't, I didn't really think he was going to start. Okay. Um, I think part of the reason he opted out was because he saw the players who were there and he maybe didn't want to compete with them. Sorry, Jonathan, if you're listening and that's not right, but uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think he, yeah, he probably would have been a, I mean, you definitely want a guy like that who played last season, scored a touchdown, yeah. had some big moments. He would have helped out on depth, but I think they actually looked pretty good in the, in the secondary with the guys they have there. And I think the additions of people like Keandre Thomas at corner and some other young guys they have. I, I think uh, Jonathan Truman will – is that – I hope I got that right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Truman graduated uh, a few years ago. Is that – all right. Well, whoever their new uh, whoever their new free safety is on Space Nine. Jerron McPherson. There you go, Jerron McPherson. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, all right. Sorry. Or maybe, maybe his uh, is fear. Yeah. I, I get confused because, you know, there's the town in Kansas that's McPherson. But I think uh, his might be McPherson. Okay. Okay. Well, right. Either way. Yeah, Jerron McPherson, you are totally right. Jerron McPherson. I think he'll be a really good mm-hmm. uh, free safety. They got Wayne Jones back at strong safety, AJ Parker back at corner. Yeah. I really like DeAndre Thomas at corner. I actually think they've got a lot of talent there. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was I was kind of surprised that Keandre Thomas came in and he and he took that job because Lance Robinson really came on towards the end of last season and looked pretty good. I think he's definitely part of the future at that spot. Now definitely surprised to see Will Jones in that nickelback spot, but I mean I heard pretty good things out of from him out of camp and but yeah, Jonathan Alexander's an interesting dude and I he's got the kind of build that reminds me a lot of Emmanuel Lemur from a while back. And mm-hmm. I, I really wish he'd, you know, just move up and, and play middle linebacker. I think that's where he could he could make some money in the NFL if he moved up and played linebacker. He's got the right build. He's got the right skill set. I, I think that would, would translate pretty well for him. But, you know, he likes playing safety. That's what he likes playing. Yeah. And then, you know, that's a, that's a enticing option if he comes back well, next season. And that would be good for him for next season and for K-State because, I mean, we lose presumably Justin Hughes and Elijah Sullivan. They, I mean, they both graduated. Justin Hughes has been here since the dawn of time. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, having a guy like Jonathan Alexander to move up and play linebacker could really help bridge some gaps there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, two experienced guys at linebacker with Elijah Sullivan and Justin Hughes, um, you know, is that going to be one of the stronger linebacking cores K-State's had in a little while? I mean, I hope so for their sake. This is what they've been waiting for forever as high school teammates. They wanted to team up in college and believe it or not. Yeah. They've been here since the dawn of time. They've never started together. This is their chance to finally do it. I have a little bit higher hopes for Elijah Sullivan just because he played last season. He's been healthier. He's the faster of the two. Um, I think he's going to be really good as a senior. Justin Hughes, my only question with him is just how quick can he knock the the rust off from being out so long? If he can do that, though, um, he really was racking up tackles at the end of his junior year two two years ago. And he does fit what Chris Kleiman likes to have at middle linebacker. But uh, even though those two guys will be the core of the defense, the leaders there, it's been interesting to me to hear Chris Kleiman say, um, those aren't the only two linebackers they're going to play. They're going to get Daniel Green involved. They're going to get some other younger guys involved in there. So you'll see, much like at running back, uh, where they're, they're using four guys, I think you'll see four players at linebacker too, just to keep them fresh. And I think that's a great idea, just because you do have these guys who have a little bit of a Injury-filled past, and if you can take some mileage off their legs this season, that's promising. You're also talking about playing, you know, Big 12 offenses that end up a lot of them play at a much faster pace, and so if you can have four guys there at linebacker that you can rotate through and feel comfortable with, then that helps your your defense out quite a bit. Playing those teams like Baylor and and Tech that they like to to push things. Yeah, Arkansas State does it too. There you go. <laughs> there you go and then, yeah and then up front i mean we all know what white hubert can do first team all victoria defensive end so i guess maybe the question up there is you know is there enough talent to keep uh, teams from focusing on hubert too much not put too much pressure on him how's the rest of the group I around there is. i don't think it'll take a whole lot to open things up for him because I think it'll be what I've compared it to is when Jordan Willis was a senior and Reggie Walker was a freshman. I don't know, looking back, uh, how great of a season Reggie Walker had, but there was so much attention on Jordan Willis that he was able to get in there and gobble up sacks and look like a, uh, a real force to be reckoned with. And as he got more sacks, that opened up things for Willis. And then he started to get his sacks. I, I think you'll see a little bit of that this season with Bronson Massey and Khalid Duke. Uh, lining up on the opposite side of the the line from Wyatt Hubert. I'm not too worried about that. I'm a little 
nervous to see what they can cobble up at defensive uh, tackle just because you're losing two guys who were super solid last year with Trey Deshaun and Jordan Mitty, guys who'd uh, played there before. I mean, Deshaun, he uh, he held that spot for four straight years. So to break in new guys, even though I, I do think they like Drew Wiley and Eli Higgins, they've still got big shoes to fill. And I think as long as they can shore up the middle, I think they'll be fine on the ends. I'm a little yeah. less worried about defensive tackle only because Drew Wiley's played since as a true I mean he's played since he's been a true freshman he's been in the rotation he hasn't started but he's got a lot of experience I mean yeah it still sucks losing you know Trey Deshaun but they've got some talent there and and some decent experience I think they'll be they'll be fine if not you know they're they're not going to be like stand out we're not going to be talking about them like we did Trey Deshaun or Will Geary before him but they're going to be a solid group that'll help Hubert and then who's ever lined up opposite him you know get pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting. That defense, certainly uh, you would think that they're, they're going to get tested a lot early on. Kelsey, like you said, a lot of experienced quarterbacks in the league. And as always, a lot of good offenses. And they open the Big 12. Oklahoma and Texas Tech will be tough. But e- even Arkansas State, uh, you guys were saying, you know, has a, a decent offense. I know Drew wrote on our side about Lane Hatcher. You know, kind of, you guys talk about what he brings and what Arkansas State offense could do. Well, we saw last week when, when they're on, they're capable. They can be a potent offense. I mean, they took a lead over Memphis. They kept putting up points throughout the game. It seemed like their bigger problem was just that their defense absolutely could not stop Memphis. So if you're Briley Moore this week, you got to be just chomping at the Chopping at the bit, foaming at the mouth to play this this team, seeing what the Memphis tight end did. Didn't he have like 125 yards and two TDs against Arkansas State? Man, if you could replicate that, that would be. I mean, that would, if he, those numbers right there would be like a season high for most Kansas State tight ends in the passing game. So yeah, I'll be excited to see that. But on, on offense, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about their quarterbacks. The one guy's an Alabama transfer, but he split reps with another guy. We'll see two QBs this week. So I think they're still breaking in some guys too. I'm not expecting like a powerhouse attack here, but they are formidable. They're better than what we've seen a lot of years uh, with openers. They're probably, they're not as good as like North Dakota State was when they came in here, but they're better than say Nichols was last year when they came in here. Mm -hmm. Or probably better than say Coastal Carolina. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll point out because they're, don't they, aren't they in the same conference? Oh yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah, I think so. But yes, I would expect Arkansas State to. Uh, I mean, I, well, I, w- I would pick Arkansas State to beat KU. I would pick pick them to beat Coastal Carolina. I would not pick them to beat K State. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, they definitely did put pressure on a what should still be a pretty solid Memphis team. I di- I didn't like how Anderson was using his quarterbacks. It seemed very like Bill Snyder to me, and not in a good way. In that, like, he couldn't make a decision, so he was. You know, like, well, you're just going to split evenly and go back and forth no matter what. I thought Hatcher, the Alabama transfer, I thought he played better. I mean, he didn't he didn't throw a touchdown pass, but he looked – No picks. The offense looked better when he was on the field, to my eyes. But, you know, I'm not the coach of the Red Wolves, so I don't get to make that call. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I've, I thought it was a little odd that when you go back and look at the – the stats that uh, that Hatcher put up last season and getting named Sunbelt Freshman Player of the Year, I, I was initially under the assumption he was going to be their guy, but then everybody 
else who covers the team said, no, it was going to be Logan Bonner. He's the guy. And it, it seems like, yeah, exactly what you're talking about with, with Bill Snyder kind of in his later years, he's basically like, well, we got two pretty good quarterbacks. I'm not going to make any decision on, we're just going to play him right down the middle. Um, never, never a great thing, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I liked what I saw more with Hatcher. And so that game got moved up the 11 a.m. kickoff and with no tailgating, that seems like a, that's probably a positive, right? I mean, I mean if, if you're going to play that. an 11 a.m. game, you might as well do it with uh, when yeah. most of the things can't go right. <laughs> tailgate at home, yeah. Uh, yeah. roll out of bed, watch it. I mean, shoot, sounds like a pretty good pretty good way to spend a Saturday to me. Well, it's not on Big Fox, so yeah. it means even more people can watch it at home and should be good. Yeah, we get Gus. People, I think. Like, see that? Well, I wonder if Fox will actually send their announcers there, or they'll have them just come out of the studio. Ooh, that's a good question. I should I should look into that. Yeah, uh, I, bet they, I bet they send them though. Yeah, yeah, probably. They're probably itching think, to get out of the studio and go actually call a game live. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I saw um, K State's football SID Kenny Lanude posted a tweet today yeah. saying he was looking forward to seeing uh, Gus Johnson and those guys. So I would okay. presume that means they're on campus. But you never, you never know this day and age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, I guess both of you guys have young kids. So how's the the homeschooling going? You know, uh, Professor Kellis, we've we've seen the tweets. Uh, and, you know, how's, how's Kellis that is in a little thing? worse shape than me. I, <laughs> Manhattan's doing the the hybrid thing where they've got yeah they go to school two days okay. and then home three days. Okay. We're in the uh, Rock Creek district, which is just east of Manhattan, and we go our kids go five days a week. So. Oh, okay. uh, it's much nicer. I, I knew I could have moved out there. I knew I could have <laughs> Yeah, we've we've got some people in our neighborhood who um we only live, I mean, half a mile from our elementary school, but they still had some of their kids enroll in uh, the Riley Riley School District, so they could go five days a week. And <laughs> I know I know somebody else who uh had had their kids in public school forever, but went ahead and enrolled them in the the Christian elementary school here in town so they can yep. go five days a week for, uh, for me stuck here, uh, teaching them three days a week, but you know, it, it's yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Gallus has been challenged. Yeah. I, I would say though, that, uh, I have been a little prepared for this just given that whenever we've had snow days in the past working from <laughs> home, I've always been the person who's had to step up to the plate and, and watch the kids while my wife went in and, uh, did her actually, more important day job. So I, I've long ago figured out how to, uh, you know, cram a normal day's amount of work into like two, two and a half, three hours if need be. So I can't say I always give the greatest, you know, effort into uh, schooling the kids. If they need to take a, a recess, I'm okay with them taking an hour and a half recess here or there. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if they're getting tired of working, I'm happy to call on the TV and let it, let the TV babysit for a while. <laughs> I just try to, I guess the, my, the only advice I would have for somebody else trying to do this is just whatever. If you do have to balance it, just try to be super focused while you're being a teacher. And then when you do get the yeah. chance to slip away and work, be super focused then too. And as fun as it is to, you know, multitask and spend time on Twitter or whatever, that you just can't do that if you've got a tiny window. And um, especially mm-hmm. when you never know when, when your kid's going to walk in the room and demand you go do something with them. So <laughs> I don't know, JT, what's your journey been like? Well, I got really lucky because my wife is a teacher. So back in the spring, you know, she was just home and and did the teaching at home with the online. So that made it easy. And now, you know, they're all going to school all the time. So I was an essential employee 
and got to go into work every day. I was the only person on campus at MCC, but I was there and made sure the servers didn't shut down. So, yeah, that's important. But uh, now we've got we've got kids on campus. Given us so far has been okay. Uh, our our fourth grader, our oldest kid, has actually done pretty good with it because they have assignments yeah. set up that kind of entertain them throughout the day. But our our kindergartner has been more of a challenge. He doesn't want to just sit down and actually work for eight hours. So that that's the one where you got to get real creative. You have any days where you wish you'd gone into education instead of sports writing? <laughs> um, no, never. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, I think probably it's about time to, to wrap this up. Um, appreciate you joining us. Uh, do you want to give us any predictions for the season, Kellis? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm drinking the purple Kool-Aid right now or what, but in my yearly column where I, I go game by game and break it down, I, I picked him to go seven and three. I didn't get a single person on Twitter telling me I was wrong or they hated my pick, so that probably means I'm being too optimistic. But I'm bought in for now. I, I like Briley Moore. I like the guys they got coming back on defense. We talked about Skyler. Uh, I think even though they are turning over players at certain positions, I think they got experience in the right places. And, uh, I mean, you never know. Things could come crashing to a halt or the wrong guy could go down with COVID and everything is horrible. But uh, as of right now, I, I actually like Kansas State's chances. So I'm I'm thinking this could actually be a pretty good year for them. I'd, I'd agree right, with well, Kellis on that so. for sure. I hope, I hope you guys are right. So. As always, Kels, we appreciate you coming. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a bunch, guys. All right. Thanks, JT. Thanks. So, yeah.